Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Colony Drop, a Gundam podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Isaac. This is your favorite Gundam podcast, where we talk about anything and everything that's related to Gundam. So that could be the Gundam movies and anime series, Gundam music, like the intros and outros. It could be lore, concepts, things we think up, listener mail, even Gundam fashion, which we haven't gotten around to, but it's coming. Get ready. <laughs> And even also side stories. Isn't that right, Brian? You know what, Isaac? I love a good side story. I feel like that's one of the best things that you get out of big, long-running franchises that are too big for their own good, like Gundam. You get all these weird stories on the side that no one ever reads or watches except people that like it too much for their own good, like us. (laughs) So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about one of the original side stories that came out in America called Lost War Chronicles. Oh, it came out in America. Interesting. Look, you're already, you're already educating me. I had no idea. I thought this was Japanese almost only, and then it got translated by somebody else. And that, that's why when reading it on occasion, some of the words seemed off to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, they did their best. You know? <laughs> they, did, they did do their best. I do have some notes on that. So let's talk about the release stats here. So this is a manga. It came out in 2002 in Japan. It was released in 2006 in English by uh, the publisher Tokyopop. But uh, in terms of availability, it's obviously out of print by Tokyopop since its first release. So you can find some hard copies on eBay. They actually are kind of expensive. And the quality of the paper has not held up well, I'll be honest. I have some, and they're pretty yellow at this point. I really wouldn't recommend buying it unless you're a completionist for more reasons than that, which I will get to in a second here. But... It's very simple to find if you just type in Lost World Chronicles into your uh, internet machine. <laughs> but Isaac, this is one of those side stories where the manga is an adaptation of a video game. Oh my god. There was a video game called <laughs> Lost World Chronicles for PS2. came out in 2002. It was only released in Japan. Do- doesn't have an English release to my knowledge. And I don't think there was a fan translation for like an emulator. I did look a little bit. I, I didn't do an exhaustive search. So it's possible that one does exist. So because of that, obviously the best way to consume this story if you're an American fan is probably the manga version. Also, the you know the video game plays out in a way you can kind of play either side. So you can kind of kill either side, I'm sure, one way or the other. So I'm not sure it has like a definitive storyline in the game. But someone who's played the game, maybe you can give me some more detail on that. Uh, that said, the reason why you don't want to buy the Tokyo Pop version, <laughs> unless you just like having it, is the Tokyo Pop release is missing both the prequel chapters and the final chapter. <laughs> wow. Both of which are pretty vital to the plot, I would say, Isaac. Man, yeah. <laughs> and also there's going to be a part where an HLV lands on Earth. And that is very important to basically the rest of the story after that happens. And that page, or those two, three, four page spread, uh, it's just not in my print version. I don't know if that's an error in my version or someone ripped the page out, but it kind of doesn't make sense if you don't have that page because that's all they do that chapter is they go to get the HLV, Isaac. You know what page I'm talking about where the dude's in the desert and he looks up and the giant HLV's coming down? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's a it's a very critical <laughs> that HLV is very critical to the story. <laughs> right. So to recap, the Tokyo Pop version missing both chapter zeros and it's missing the last chapter which has the uh I would say the climactic battle of the whole story. You know, the conclusion <laughs> of a multi-part story. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure why it was left out. If anyone knows, you know, let me know. 
Interesting. Well, thank God for piracy, Brian, <laughs> because you can find the entire story through a less um, savory means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I did check, you know, the version we read, which is obviously the the Mother Vanguard version. They, you know, adhered pretty closely to the Tokyo Pop translation, but, but they fixed a few things that were off in the Tokyo Pop version. But then they also made their own typos, which I thought was very silly. But anyway, it was readable. You know, it is what it is. Okay, so let me clarify something, though, Brian. So you bought the print version way back when or pretty recently? No, I bought it pretty recently because if okay. I think of just Universal Century manga that's been released in the U.S., that was really the only one I didn't have. Ah, I and see. so I thought it would just be cool to have it. And then I figured, well, if we ever do a review of it, I could just read my print version because that's fun. And then I read somewhere that it was missing a chapter. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, what the hell? I pictured in my head you as like you know, a teenager having finished watching like double 83 and jumping into Gundam and you get this and it's just, it must've been maddening, <laughs> you know, watching and <laughs> reading it. And then like, you can kind of tell something's wrong with the plotting and like the pacing and, you know, a certain mobile suit appears out of nowhere, you know, <laughs> it's like, what is going on here? For years, you stood over this until we could finally finish the manga <laughs> in its entirety right now for this podcast episode. Right, right. <laughs> So, should we just jump into the summary, Isaac? Oh, let's do it. Right. And on the surface, I have to say, this looks like a very concise side story, but boy, does a lot happen, <laughs> and it does so in a great way. I think so. I was really surprised. I um, mean, you know, obviously, we haven't oh, me too. got into it here, but yeah. I was kind of expecting something middle of the road, and um, I was pleasantly surprised by the story, by everything that accomplished in the story. Also, in general, I thought the art was really great. Oh, absolutely, yeah. There were some color pages in here, Isaac, which also the Tokyo Pop version doesn't have. Ah. Those color pages were amazing. Those were great. I wish the whole thing was colored, man. That would be great. I just can't agree anymore with what you've said. I was reading it, and I was hearing <laughs> the mobile suit noises, Brian. <laughs> I was hearing the beams. <laughs> I was I was imagining, you know, the voice actors were kind of used to doing the voices of different characters. It was just, it was a very cinematic uh, manga experience. Yeah, I, I won't give my score yet, but oh boy, <laughs> Crossbone's got some competition in terms of like, you know, who's, who's the cream of the crop for manga. We are going to be so excited, Isaac, because we'll, we'll get there oh, in, a, in a bit. But um, oh, oh. the other thing I want to say is that partially probably why this is pretty good is the people who did this manga, the writer was Tomohiro Chiba, who wrote Gundam Legacy. That's another um, famous manga, which we're going to talk about in a second. And then it was illustrated by Masato Natsumoto, who did two other famous Gundam mangas, one called Space to the End of a Flash, which also relates to Gundam Legacy, which we'll talk about a little later. And Isaac that was the same artist who did the redone version of 0083 called 0083 Rebellion. Okay, interesting. Well, so if you like this art, you'll love 0083 Rebellion, Isaac, because it's the same person. Can't wait till we get there. <laughs> <laughs> so real quick, there are a variety of characters in here. So a real quick rundown, just so everyone can sure. kind of get their facts straight. So on the Federation side, we have Captain Matt Healy and his two mobile suit team members, Sergeant Larry Radley, who's the sniper, and Sergeant Anish Rothman. And then they have a mechanic named Annie, an operator named Noel Anderson. You can kind of think of Noel as like Elidor from 8th MS Team. This, yeah. And I would say in general, this story skews pretty close to 8th MS Team, right? There's a lot of parallels. Yeah, it very much lends credence to you know canon wise this is how squads are set up you got like your mobile suits you got the little logistics and then you got sort of you know command intel communications and that's it they're out in the field taking orders and following missions 
And we also have some really cool appearances, Isaac, by General Revel and Admiral Cohen. That was neat yeah, to see. Yeah, a little cameo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Lieutenant Woody, which we'll get to in a second. Oh, also, uh, guess who else showed up? It was Matilda. Yeah, well, in name, sort of. <laughs> well, no, they showed her for oh, a little bit. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. Oh, you miss Matilda? Well, oh, no, my God, Well, Ryan. she was already, I mean, spoilers for the original series, everyone. <laughs> she She's wasn't, dead. She wasn't a pancake yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, she was dead. This happens after her death. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. She's still alive. Because they're making a delivery to the white base. Oh, that's true. All right, you're right. You're yeah. right. That's fair. Oh, okay, that's a good point. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm the space fascist. <laughs> nope, she was a pancake. <laughs> I'm just really in a hurry for Matilda to die, apparently. That's a good point, though, because this story takes place over the entire one-year war. Yeah. Every chapter is not happening exactly right after the other. We skip months in between chapters. Which I thought was cool. Yeah, some kind of flashbacks to a little bit and stuff like that. Right. So it's, you, you get the whole breadth of at least maybe not the war A to Z, but most of the beats, most of what happened. Right. Outside of going to space. We don't go to space yeah. here. We stay bound to Earth. Uh, well, some people do. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's people fair. do. <laughs> On the Xeon side, we have Lieutenant Ken Biederstadt? Betterstadt? How do, you, how do you think you pronounce that? Oh, boy. Um... Ben or Stodd, I thought Ooh, it was, something Stodd. like that. Okay. There's a Stodd at the end. Yeah. We know that. He, this is a strong German name <laughs> for a strong uh, man with German strong ancestry. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he's on the Zeon side. Yeah, of course, it's a blonde, right? Of course, they, they got a blonde man <laughs> on the side of Zeon, right? Because, oh. <laughs> so, interestingly, in the manga, he has brownish blonde hair. But in basically every other media, he has black hair. Okay. Well. And so... It's very jarring. If you look up his hmm. his profile, you're going to get a guy with yeah. black hair, and I'm like, that is not what I imagined. <laughs> yeah, reading the manga that I had a copy of, the you know, a copy that fell out of a truck. Yeah. In my mind's eye, when I was looking at these pages, he was a blonde man. Oh, 100%. Agree. Agree. So, yeah. So, I, I, not, I wouldn't even say dirty blonde. That animation it was only for blonde people in the series, <laughs> and that's exactly what it looked like. Agree. Agree. His two mobile suit pals are sergeant garski and sergeant jake and then they have a mechanic whose name is may and they have an operator named corporal yuki and then they have a colonel i believe is his rank colonel douglas there's another guy who pilots a dom i don't remember his name maybe his name wasn't even given but um oh that idiot he, he's a uh, some other rank yeah so i think he was something right? well, no he's he's the same rank actually he's just a different unit right yeah, yeah. So those are our general characters, and you can see they kind of have, everyone sort of has an analog on one side or the other, so you can kind of tell that these two sides are just going to duel it out uh, as we go. Oh, and uh, just a little note that I thought was really interesting, maybe we'll go into this later, maybe we won't. The Xeon side, the little squad, they're part of something called the Foreign Legion, Yeah, which is something we've never heard really in canon before. Like, what? What do you mean? So that kind of gets explained later on. There's a lot of little lower bombs here, which yeah, I thought was pretty neat little nuggets yeah especially in the prequel chapters maybe not so much on the matt chapter oh but in the ken chapter there's a lot of good stuff there yeah so let's start with the prequel chapters isaac so the first one there's basically one for matt and one for ken the one for matt it takes place months before the war starts he's a cadet he meets a, a zeon geologist named duchamp who's like in australia doing surveys and matt is suspicious of him the war hasn't started yet but it's it's heating up and people are not trusting the zeon yeah. people anymore and Duchamp loves fossils, and that's not something he could dig up in the space colony, so that's why he came to Earth to do geologic surveys. And then the last time Matt sees Duchamp is he's giving money to a Xeon officer of some kind in an alley, leading Matt to think Duchamp did end up giving geologic info to Xeon. 
But right after Operation British, Matt gets a package from Duchamp with a shark tooth fossil with a message that says, hey, you know what? I didn't go along with the military no matter what they wanted me to do. And I'm still here doing surveys in Australia, which I assume means that he, he died in Operation British, I think. <laughs> yes, he would. And you know what, Brian? Even if he was outside a city, he would have died. <laughs> Because, need I remind you and any <laughs> listeners in Australia, the sheer impact of the colonies striking Australia would have wiped out almost all life on the continent. Please continue, Brian. <laughs> it's canon. This is, canon proved it. This is completely coincidental that we are doing <laughs> this one right after the colony. What discussion. a coincidence. A colony <laughs> fell on <in> Australia. <laughs> Uh, so Matt, so you know now, now knowing Duchamp is dead, Matt vows to end the war as fast as he can for a world that Duchamp would have liked, I guess. So I was a little not confused, but I wasn't entirely sure what was happening in the alley when Matt was kind of spying on Duchamp um, with the other guy doing the transaction. I didn't know if Duchamp was paying him, if the guy was handing him money, or what. But um. I agree. I was going to ask you the same thing. <laughs> okay. I know he says in the letter that he didn't actually go along with it, but it sure seemed like he was doing something there. Yeah. Money. What was he giving them? Bad data or non-existent corrupted oh, could data? Be, could be. Who knows? Whatever to get them off his back. But right. um, for whatever reason, Matt was in the alley and spying on them and he took out his gun, but decided not to confront them. So Matt, this, this early on shows that Matt's... Um, He's not quick to pull the trigger. Let's say that. Right. He's a very human person. He saw Duchamp being beaten up by some civilians because, oh, you know, he's from side three, he's a spy. And then he kind of didn't really break it up so much as like take Duchamp and, and patch him up after. And then how, that's how they became friends. Right. Because he was like, you know, he has to monitor this guy now because he's possibly a spy. But Right. It, it really affects him that Duchamp sent him a gift <laughs> essentially the same day that the colony fell and wiped out um, Sydney where Duchamp was. You know, this I don't think this goes anywhere, and especially if now knowing what I know about the rest of the story. But had I not known it, had I not seen anything else, I would have thought there was even a little bit of a romantic connection between the two. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think enough time went by for that. Then again, I'm so oblivious that when in, in Iron Blooded Orphans, when there was that romance, I didn't notice <laughs> until like the final battle. Until the where, guy like, died. The mechanic, and you, and you were... Yeah, the final battle with the mechanic. Like, or no, no, it wasn't even the mechanic. It was the the friend of the pilot, right? right? The yeah, friend of the yeah. pilot is like, you know, <laughs> he doesn't that really mechanic like doesn't that do way. that for everybody. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't give that much attention to everybody. So stop being so idiotic. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. But but something else I noticed that was interesting. Um, Duchamp says he's easily identified, I think, or that that crowd instantly knew he was Zeon because of his accent. So this goes back to like episode whatever in the original series where one guy had a really strong accent. Remember that? That's right. Yeah. And, and for the most part, I think they've sort of done away with that plot point. But yeah, you're right. It does yeah. come back up here. I, I, I laughed when I read that because... It's not an old manga, but it's it's definitely not new, right? It's yeah. 2002, so... God, what does, what does this mean for canon? This must mean that, like, there's almost a core or at least a sizable group of Zeons who have an accent that when you hear it, you immediately know they're from side three. And <laughs> the rest of the people in Zeon, just based on how many spies we've seen <laughs> that Zeon sends out to, like, seamlessly blend in or even just talk in a normal voice like Gato that, that nobody assumes is a Zeon, 
Everybody else just talks normal Federation English. <laughs> yeah, and I don't so. know what the Xeon accent sounds like. So listeners, send us in your best Xeon accent, what you think it would sound like. <laughs> and please, uh, for, for like our handful of German listeners, please don't do just like a German accent. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so that was the first prequel chapter. Uh, the second prequel chapter, Isaac, I think had much more substance. The second one is about Ken. And here we learn that Ken actually worked for the Colony Corporation doing like colony construction jobs. And he was actually part of the team that was contracted to convert the side three colonies into closed cylinders when they were running out of space. So that is what I call a cannon collision (laughs) because side three never had open type colonies with the mirrors and the, you know, massive panels of glass. They never did. You know why? Because side three is on the other side of the moon. They never had direct sunlight. That's the whole reason at their L at the L three or whatever their Lagrange point is, side three had to have closed-type colonies with artificial light along that big center column in the middle of the colonies. Yeah. So this, as interesting as it is to make a backstory for him, it doesn't really make sense with what we've already established and how colonies work on side three. Oh, interesting. I think I've read that before, though. I wonder if they go back and forth. I would do a combination. I would mesh them together and say, look, the original colonies were completely closed type, but as the population grew, they absolutely brought in someone that were um, open and then eventually just converted them. Mm, I could see that. There you go. Everybody wins. (laughs) (laughs) Canon solved. Yeah, I I did it. We did it here on the Colony Job Podcast. We we solved the canon problems, (laughs) just like we torpedoed after (laughs) We aren't just a force of destruction, Brian. And everything else. Yeah. Evolution, we touch. that Kickstarter thing. <laughs> Heaven help us when we review UC Engage. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know what? They have it coming. But anyways, please continue. Ken's knowledge of colonies attracts the attention of Zeon, and they kidnap his wife and child and make him join the war effort by helping move a colony from Loom uh, for the second you know, would-be Operation British. And during the operation, the Battle of Loom breaks out, and he has to escape in Izaku. He watches a Salamis destroy his friends who were in an escape vehicle. And after the battle, he basically just drifts through space in Izaku until he's picked up by Colonel Douglas. I don't like this at all as a prequel, because why do you need a small group of people's help to move a colony? As Gato showed us, you really just need (laughs) to get to like one console in like a colony's command center to move the colony. And also, this was like the battle alone, right? So... The Xeon Array knows how to move a colony. <laughs> they don't need anybody's help to how to move one. <laughs> maybe Gato, what he did, maybe it was all based on information they got from <laughs> from Ken Biederstadt okay. or whatever whatever you said his name was. Bannerstadt. Bannerstadt. Yeah, sure. w- whatever his name is. Um, okay. He sounds like a vampire I, when you say it that way. Yeah. <sighs> Boy, does this make sense? Not... <sighs> Okay, here, here's how we can install this again. Just Are you listening, listeners? For, we're doing this from the seat of our pants. Um, <laughs> we're shooting from the hip. All right. Since British didn't hit the target, <laughs> they figured, you know what? We're military guys, but why don't we actually bring in like the engineers and specialists that know how to do this? Oh, I like so that. So we can have, yeah, yeah, we have a much better chance of hitting our target. I like that. It yeah. still didn't work, but you know. Oh, also, also what's horrifying is that like... <laughs> When they're interrogating him, the officer in charge times it so that he can watch the col- a colony get nuked. 
Jesus Christ. I had like kind of forgotten some of the details about the Battle of Loom, so yeah. I, I went back and read. Two billion people died in the Battle of Loom. Wow. Because that entire side was just destroyed. Excuse me, Brian. I think what you mean is <laughs> two billion people gave their lives for space noid independence. <laughs> And the ideals of Zeon. That's what you mean, two, right? <laughs> two billion people who weren't fighting for space noid independence yeah. gave their lives for space noid independence. <laughs> Going about their day-to-day lives, just, just getting vaporized. <laughs> that would be another physics question. If your colony gets nuked, how quickly do you die? Yeah. Oh, I guess we'll have to... Uh, well, I, I, won't tip our, I won't tip our hat too much, Brian, but uh, let's just say we're working on some of these uh, hard engineering, hard science questions. <laughs> Over at uh, Colony Drop Deep Science Division. <laughs> so in general, I thought uh, prequel number two here really gave a lot of insight as to Ken's character as to why he is the way he is. Not having that in the English version really paints the picture of a different person. Somewhat, yeah. I, I Actually, no, I'll, I'll disagree with you. Uh, not too strongly. But we see so much humanity of Ken in the series with how much he cares for his own people that I I feel like this, this this wasn't wholly needed, and neither was Matt's. It was just sort of um, icing on the cake. It was dessert after a great meal. <laughs> you know, we, we didn't need it. It was nice, but, you know, we were okay. It's the whipped cream. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It was like, well, you know, <laughs> apple, apple pie is still good. We don't need the ice cream. If we have the ice cream, great. But, you know, the pie was good altogether. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will take the ice cream, so. The main story is split up into seven operations. So operation one, we begin with Matt as the captain of the third platoon of the special forces experimental unit. Admiral Cohen basically just orders them around to do random things. And they're primarily acting as diversions and decoys. And as the story progresses, Matt's third platoon is going to hop around the globe, coming up against Ken's uh, mobile suit squad, which is called the Foreign Legion, as Isaac mentioned. And they become rivals and we're eventually going to get a showdown in Australia. We start in southwest Canada, where Cohen has ordered them to draw Zeon's attention, and from afar, Ken watches the third platoon dispatch three Zakus and a goof. Uh, Matt punched the goof in the face, Isaac, which was pretty impressive. Basic first chapter, we learn Matt basically doesn't want to kill people if he can help it. He just kind of wants to disable them and move on, get them to surrender. He's like Mm -hmm. the Kira Yamato of the Universal Century, but with like nowhere near the good equipment (laughs) as Kira has. Oh my god, I didn't even think of it like that. Yeah, kind of, right? It'd be like if they gave Kira, like, a gin, and they were just like, good luck. Yeah, if, if Kira was a natural, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and he didn't have the advanced Gundam. But the thing is, he's like squad mates, like, they they almost have no problem killing. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that's true. That's kind of a Captain, yeah, it's a Captain Matt thing, but, like, if we're in a pinch and we have to kill people, we're gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that's going to come back to haunt Matt here in a little bit. What I loved in this first battle was, like, you know, the squad facing off against... Well, it was Zaku's ghosts and um, even Magella tanks, I think, right? Yes, yeah. yes. There were a lot of tanks in the first half of this manga. It had something that I wonder if you noticed we've never seen since or before, and that is the commanding officer of the Geon squad was, like, barking orders from the front in a jeep. Like, it was so bizarre. <laughs> you almost always see the commanding officer in, like, the command Zaku, right? Oh, yeah. With, like, the little antenna on the head so you know he's in charge. Yeah, yeah. In this case, this guy was, like, hanging out the side of a Jeep, like, on the <laughs> on a walkie-talkie yelling at, like, the tanks and the, the mobile suits. And it, it would just seem kind of bizarre. Like, why, if this guy gets cooked, we're going to lose our commanding <laughs> officer, you know? 
maybe he was too old to be in that mobile suit these days. Uh, or too girthy, maybe, you know? <laughs> He's a big Doesn't guy. fit. Oh, God. He likes the open air. It gives him a better <laughs> view of the battle. Okay. Yeah, he needs to be mobile, you know? There you go. Um, in Operation 2, we now shift towards being near Odessa. And this is a little bit before Operation Odessa. Ken's Zaku team has a big tray dead to rights. Uh, but they get ordered to retreat so that Zeon can take pictures of their new mobile suit with hovering capabilities, which is da 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 drum roll, Isaac. What is it? Da 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 da. It's the Dom. Dum da dum dum dum. Surprise. Dum, dum. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted like Ken's team to you know find it and kind of weaken it, but then they want the Dom to come in and destroy it and take pictures, <laughs> so then they can say, "Oh look, Zeon has this new thing, and it's destroying all the Federation stuff, and everyone be scared." Rada rada. You know, rabble rabble rabble. Ken's team is too good at their job because <laughs> if you if you remember. Remember the panel? They unload like one of those Zaku machine guns into the bridge. Oh yeah, yeah. Of the uh, the big tray. I don't think anybody was on the bridge though. If you look at like later panels when um they're kind of showing it, or, or if they did, they got moved out. I assume they were in a, a combat bridge. Or Probably. Something like that. I mean, the big tray bridge is pretty exposed, right? It's basically the front. Yeah. Of the, of the thing. Okay. Yeah, that explained why it wasn't covered in gore when yeah. another character goes there later. But <laughs> yeah, Ken's team, boy, they they really did a great job. Yeah, and they should have just let Ken's team destroy it because the Dom does go out with, again, the guy, I don't remember, maybe he wasn't given a name, but um, he was a very arrogant I th- I think he was. officer. Yeah. Ken kind of has to let him go first, and he, he the, the Dom guy goes with two guff escorts, and Matt outsmarts all of them. The third platoon, you know, they do emerge victorious by uh, outsmarting the Dom guy and actually sh- having the operator, Noel, in the big tray, and to Isaac's point, she she went back in the bridge, because they, they thought no one was in the bridge, because they, to Isaac's point, they had blown it up. Yeah, who would be in she there? She was in there, and, <laughs> yeah, and she 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 uh, blew up the Dom guy with the big tray's, you know, main gun, basically a point-blank oh, range. it was timed so well. Yeah, he got, he got unskirted i put in my notes <laughs> or de-skirted i'm not sure what the yeah. proper term is but yeah that mobile suit is oh as god is my witness it is broken in half <laughs> it was like sexual harassment of a dom yeah they just took it down from the waist down i couldn't believe it what a great shot yeah nice work <laughs> quite amusing um that said the third platoon did everything they could to take out the the dom and the two goofs which, by the way, I guess we should say at this point, Matt's team is piloting all ground gyms. So that's a pretty admirable effort, I think, for three ground gyms to beat two goofs and a dom. That said, they were weakened, they were a little beat up, and Ken's team swoops in and destroys the big tray at the end. But what I loved about this chapter, Isaac, was just that we got to see the big tray. The big trays and their garish camo color scheme, those <laughs> remind me... Uh, nobody, will, nobody will notice. <laughs> yeah. We, we put camo on we'll it. just hide it Nobody over here. Notice. My yellow yeah. and blue camo, which I'm not even sure where that ever fits in. If you're like right next to the coast. It reminds me of G.I. Joe play sets. Oh my God. Yes. The G.I. Joe did have something like this, right? Right. Just weird know. colors. The land carrier. Yeah. Giant nonsensical vehicles. That's what the big tray reminds me of. <laughs> With like the exposed places for your guy to yeah. like hold a gun, yeah. like sticking his head out. Right. Like, <laughs> people can ride on the side oh. and, and shoot. Yeah, because that's where we'd want to put our people. <laughs> right on the side. And we're told this big tray was a decoy of General Revel's big tray, which is named the the Baton or the Batan. This one in the sh- in this manga, though, I, to my knowledge, it was unnamed. I don't remember it being given a name. So if anyone out there knows the name of this big tray, I, I would like to know. It's a Swiss cheese by the end of the series. <laughs> yeah, it didn't last very long. <laughs> I wasn't sure if this was intentional, but this chapter sort of had a, a bit of a, me- a meta commentary because this is a side story. And the story so far of this side story is that they are a side story. They are escorting a decoy of 
the big tray that matters. They're they're escorting the big tray that doesn't matter. Their whole existence is on the side. <laughs> yeah, literally, they're going to draw attention away from the main cast. <laughs> <laughs> so that Xeon can throw resources attacking what god they must have a low opinion of zeon's intelligence which i guess is kind of true because why would general (laughs) why would general revels big tray be traveling with like just an escort of what looked like a handful of of type 63s yeah you know as opposed to the small army that it would probably normally (laughs) travel with and yeah (laughs) speaking of the tanks did, did you notice in the first three four chapters of this manga that this manga really drives home the idea that mobile suits are better than tanks because there were massive tank casualties on both sides and it was such like an afterthought like they would just step on them they would just move them out of the way it was like something yeah. to do between main action scenes yeah the, the guff will like just casually use like a heat tentacle yeah. against a tank yeah, and like boom. just slap it like, like like using your belt to like slap something <laughs> in the in like every three panels in the distance there's like the wreckage of a type 63 yeah like that guy had a bad day (laughs) yeah oh boy also in this chapter the dom guy he calls ken a hired whore and i was wondering (laughs) well that sounds great is that a bit of a redundant insult yeah right (laughs) you're just a paid employee (laughs) like (laughs) uh and then Isaac, we had the Dom here. They, uh, the Dom got a lot of play. Were you like jumping out of your seat when, the, when they revealed the Dom? And the guy was like, the Dom is going to dominate you. <laughs> I was a little cautious. Well, number one, we know my true love is the Dom Tropic, right? Fair, That's the yeah. best version of the Dom. <laughs> number two, seeing it this early made me immediately think, okay, this is going to go with the Amaral path where like they begin destroying greater and greater threats. So yep. this Dom is going down. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't have much hope for the Dom, to be honest. And <laughs> It was so epic, though, seeing the, them time the shot, though, to blow off its, like, legs and skirt. That was great. That was a great shot. I'm surprised it didn't detonate, but... Uh. Yeah, maybe it missed the reactor. I don't know, but... Yeah, but... um. Oh, getting to that, though. <laughs> After the battle's kind of over, and there's, like, a stump of a dom there. <laughs> like, you know, the Federation forces kind of surround it. They're like, all right, you got to open up. You know, <laughs> this is over. And the pilot's like, no, I'm not getting out. <laughs> be a prisoner, be a hostage, that's terrible. And fleeing at the same time was, or no, actually, I think uh, the engineer, May, for um, the Foreign Legion, for whatever reason, she had the control to self-destruct the Dom, right? Oh, did she? I don't remember. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, th- I think she did. And she was like, well, I guess I got no, tr- I guess she was listening in. Oh. And she knew, like, well, they're, they're, they're either going to take it or they're not going to oh, take it, whatever. Oh, that's right, but, yeah. And, yeah, then she hits the switch and it like starts igniting. I don't know if the guy got out. He his hatch was open. I'm gonna say he didn't, and she probably did it on purpose because he was a dick. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. It his hatch was open. And he seemed maybe halfway out of it, but there was a lot of fire. Yeah, so he I'm was a girthy sure. guy too. He might not be able yeah. to get out of there too quick. He either got cooked or he got singed and then got <laughs> a, captured by the Federation. Either way, that's he's done with for the war. Right. Yeah, it didn't end well for him. <laughs> Another good shot in this chapter, which in general the illustrator does a great job they have a deft hand at, at making comic books yeah. basically there was a really good shot um when they were waiting for someone to attack the big tray there was the single ground gym on top of the big tray with the giant rifle nice yeah i loved that that was a great shot it was very cinematic it was very memorable and i'm a simple man isaac i think things in a lot of books today are too crowded there's too much going on but that was a very simple shot. <laughs> it's so like even like the density of like the Lucas films. No, <laughs> like the Phantom Menace. No, it's so dense, <laughs> stylistically dense. <laughs> I can visualize the one ground gym on top of the big tray, you know, in a limited resource yeah. environment. 
with the giant gun just saying, come at me. I, I love how the Foreign Legion took out the big tray. How it wasn't like, well, let's just shoot our guns at it. Oh, yeah. Instead, Ken was like, look, we, we have these flying aircraft that are being used for aerial photography. Let's just ram one into the big tray yeah. and we'll be done. <laughs> very practical. Very practical. Yeah. Then we can go home. <laughs> uh, so that brings us to Operation 3, which is uh, actually Operation Odessa. Operation Odessa has arrived. And uh, this was pretty cool, Isaac, because this, this is the, what you were talking about. This is the appearance of, the, of Lieutenant Matilda, sort of. Yeah, her little cameo. Yeah, Lieutenant Matilda's Medeas are on the way to resupply the white base. And General Revel assigns Matt a ground Gundam now because his other stuff kind of got pretty messed up in the last battle. Also, he's been doing really well. So I think Revel's like, hey, this, we should like, probably give this guy something a little better. So he gives Matt a ground Gundam. Everyone else still has their normal stuff, ground gems. And so when I say ground gun, this is the same model from 8th MS team listeners everyone's familiar with. And Revel's reasoning was like, hey, you know what? Mobile suits are going to decide all battles from here on out. So we need more data on this thing. Please use it. And things are going well when all of a sudden beam fire rips through the battlefield, Isaac. Which at this point in the war, beam fire on Earth is like unusual, right? Right. That gets your panties in a bunch. All of a sudden you're like, you know, just clenching, right? As that beam, <laughs> that beam passes you. Yeah, these should not exist except in space. And so an, all of a sudden an Adzam, an Adzam appears and disables Anisha's gym. But Matt actually refuses to leave anyone behind. It was pretty obvious that the smartest thing to do was probably just leave Anish for dead. But he just decides to stay and fight. And he actually, Isaac, in in a act of super mobile suit, super heroism, throws Azaku at the Adzom and blasts it from underneath with like his machine gun destroying it because the little thing that dispenses the Adzom's like electric net was open and so I'm sure some of his, his bullet fire went in and you know blew it from, blew it up from the in, from the inside. And let us remind you the Adzom was designed by the same team that was responsible for designing the Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> so the moment a shot gets in like a small hole the whole thing explodes. You're done. You're done. Just go home. There was one thing here, Isaac, which I don't know if it just never came up again, or maybe I'm missing something, but Revel mentioned there was a spy and that he would take care of it. Is Did that ever come up again? Did they drop that, or am I forgetting something? No, it, was, it wasn't it was so much dropped, but I think we infer that that's the spy Amaro found in the original oh, series. Oh, okay. That, that's the other thing that I was one, thinking of as well. Yeah. yeah, okay. That's a deep reference, though, if you haven't seen the original series. Yeah, oh, if you have, you would never understand. You you would think something went awry. You'd have to have seen the original series. Right. This definitely rewards you if you've seen the original series because you get all these cool cameos. Right, yeah. But um, listeners, one, one thing to remind you listeners, uh, or at least, at least inform you, we've been through like three or four battles by now. Matt has like this constant phrase that he almost always repeats before a battle in, in conversations with his team. And that's his goal is not to win, not to lose, but to make sure everybody lives. That's his victory. And, you know, he's been consistent with that. Yeah, that's why he didn't leave a niche behind. And yeah. in the first battle, he left the goof out there. Waste time, he said. Go ahead, waste time fixing it. He left the stump of the dom. Yeah. So, you know, he's purposely not killing all these people. <laughs> Although the stom stump kind of backfired. Because yeah. Yeah. Zeon made sure that thing went down. <laughs> yeah. A little 14-year-old May took it out. but um. Uh, so Operation 4, uh, Operation Odessa it has gone and passed now. I think it says here the Federation, you know, they won Operation Odessa in three days. And Makuve's HLV escaped to space. So everyone's kind yeah, of the- left behind now, Isaac. These are all the people on Zeon's side who didn't really make it back to space. It's got to be pretty demoralizing, right? Yeah, the Foreign Legion, as soon as they saw the Zanzibars leaving, <laughs> they essentially stopped fighting. They're like, look, we need to leave too. <laughs> 
Like, why stay at the front? What do you think goes through their mind? Like, when you see those things heading out to space and you're not on one, you look at that and you're like, huh, this didn't really <laughs> pan out. I didn't play a ton of sports as a kid, Brian, but I would imagine playing football or soccer or something and seeing the coach packing up and leaving <laughs> in the middle of a game probably <laughs> is not a good sign. <laughs> like, do you just look at your own team and you're like, well, we're kind of, like, screwed here. Like, wh- what are we going to do? <laughs> Yeah, it's like, you don't even need to be told. It's every man for themselves. So, <laughs> yeah, Yuri must be there from 8th MS team. He's booking it with his troops. <laughs> and yeah, good on good on Ken for saying, look, there's a Zanzibar in the air. Um, officers are gone. We need to leave. And you know who I was hoping we would see in this just as another uh, cameo? Yuri? No, it was the um, the Kimberlite squad from, from W83. Oh, Those remnants. oh that yeah. would have been cool. Yeah. Yeah, at least helping Ken or something, right? Resupply. Or... Yeah, they're essentially the same, right? They're remnants, yeah. you know. Or at this point, would have seen them either, I assume, booking it to try to find right. the mine to hide in. Yeah. yeah. So this was this is the, the, the chapter I was mentioning in the beginning, that where an HLV falls to space, and it's marked for Ken's mechanic, May. But that the part wasn't in my paper version. I was comparing them up until this point, <laughs> and I was like, hold on, where's the thing? There's a two-page spread where it comes down, you know, very cinematic moment, faraway shot coming down in the middle of a desert there's a random desert person looking up at it <clears throat> and then there's a, a page or two of them saying oh this thing came down we should go get it we don't it's in federation territory that's very dangerous those four pages were missing from my print version so then wow. it just starts and everyone just goes to some place but you don't know where they're going yeah that's not a good print version <laughs> no that's terrible <laughs> no the the one i bought you know it is used but i i think it would be odd for someone to rip out those exact four pages yeah so to me that i feel like that's just another error so if, if you have a print version could you could you check and see if you have the hlv thing coming down because interesting yeah let something us know. went wrong with this print version isaac I, I don't understand brian when the hlv was falling did you have any idea what would be in it did you know it would be a mobile suit or no i did not i, I okay me neither i mean I, I guess a mobile suit's a fair guess but um no i didn't know what would be inside i definitely didn't expect what did come out so I guess we should say at this point, you know, again, Matt's been performing well. So now they're having him train rookie pilots and he's going to take the rookie pilots with him to go get the HLV. Ken's team is also going to go get the HLV. Matt's team gets there first, but they don't open it because they think it's a trap, which turns out to be a very bad mistake. Yeah, I I guess I could have bought that. But then again, in every series, we've never seen Xeon booby trap an HLV. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Those things are valuable. So it seems odd they would booby trap one, but I guess I could see that. Maybe they're sending down a nuke or something. Sure. Oh boy. That's, (laughs) I've never thought of it. That would have been an effective strategy. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. Well, at that point, when is to use a missile? I don't know. Who knows? That's fair. Yeah. It's very Xeon. (laughs) Draw them in closer. I don't know. Yeah. So Ken's team arrives. You know, he's in their Zaku's. He takes the rookies by surprise. Ken goes after Matt immediately and pins him against the HLV and they use this opportunity to get into the HLV. And then at this point, you're wondering like, oh man, what, what are they going to come out with, Isaac? And that was so cool. Wonderful shot, right? Very cinematic. It's kind of in the smoke. What comes out, Isaac? A Gelgoog with a beam rifle. Oh man. And it, by the way, it's the large beam rifle. It's the one that yeah. uh, Gato used in like 0083. And that beam rifle just tears through the battlefield. Just like, and at this point, they're like, oh, God, you know, they're clenching again because now they're having flashbacks to the ads on. But uh, it's a ground Gelgoog, by the way, which looks pretty much like a normal Gelgoog, but I think it's got a few extra, I don't know, things on its arm or something. But we very rarely see ground Gelgoogs. No, no, they were almost all in space and they got developed too late when Xeon was almost completely off Earth. So this is pretty rare. Yeah, I, I wonder why they... 
Like, I, I, they never really went into the rationale. Well, it must have been Douglas, right? Commander Douglas probably had to pull a lot of strings to get this out there because there's no way they'd send it by Ken's request if he's with the Foreign Legion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was this chapter where we learned that May and Colonel Douglas are both from the Daikun faction and that went into hiding after the zombies took over. And because the HLV was marked for May, we did also learn that May's family, not only were they from the Daikun faction, but her family is in, like, high standing. So I'm assuming that someone in her family pulled some strings and sent one down for Douglas to use to keep her safe. That's a good point, yeah. And and to further kind of show how unique May is, she's not in uniform because she's a civilian. She's the equivalent of like just a guy or a person like helping the military almost for fun. <laughs> not fun, but like she's not even in the chain of command, they, but they like... I guess she has enough. She has to have enough pull that, you know, no one dares say anything. She's just still there, and commander's okay with. I mean, it. she's only fourteen. So in the beginning of the series, you're kind of like, why is this girl even here? Like, this is dangerous. You all should be put in jail. But yeah, it turns out in this chapter, they're like, she's here because we put her here to protect her and take her away from Zeon, where you know maybe something bad would have happened to her. So to her credit, though, she showed that she's such a good mechanic. She can listen to a mobile suit with it, you know, powered on stuff, and know what's wrong with it. Right. She's sort of a, a savant prodigy kind of thing. Right. Yeah. She's actually contributing for sure. Oh, God. I love the scene where Ken and Matt were fighting. Ken opens up the cockpit. May's in there with him. <laughs> they do the little Mission Impossible grapple hook to go past the Gundam. Yep. Directly land on the HLV. She like gets in super quick using her palm. I guess it was a biometric lock. Yeah. Then they go inside immediately. Matt, for whatever reason, d- makes no attempt to attack the HLV. They just all, He just waits. Why did he do that? That was such a stupid thing to do. Well, he hates killing people. Uh, then they wait for the HLV to open up on its own once, once um, you know, Ken's already in the powered-up Gelku. God, what a mistake. What a blunder. Yeah. It was a great story tool to use, though, because, like, I really wanted to know what was in the HLV. And I was super excited to see yeah. what came out. So I, I like that. I think that was, a, that was a great chapter. At first, I thought it was going to be, like, just a beam weapon. Mm, you know, yeah. for him to use on his mobile. But then this was so much better. Yeah, I'm glad it wasn't another mobile armor because we just defeated the odds on. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. you know, but this was great. Yeah. I kind of figured it would be something for, for Ken to use. It would be better than a Zaku. Okay. I didn't expect a ground Gelgoog, though. I was expecting like a an Afrit, Afrit? or like a yeah. Act Zaku or, or something like that. But um, That's true because in, in every side story manga or in manga in general, we always get like the unique mobile suit, right? right? Yeah. And, it has not appeared yet here, so yeah, that would have been a good place. Yeah, that was yeah. that's a plus for this this manga, in my opinion. It did everything it did, and it didn't need to introduce a unique suit. Right. Yeah. So that was kind of neat. Good on you, you know, writer, illustrator, because I don't think everything needs mm-hmm. a unique suit. No, like Ifrit, it was kind of critical because it's about the experimental suit. But here, it was. This is just very eighth MS team, right? The squads right. on missions. You know, dudes in the desert <laughs> shooting yeah. each other. So and so at the end of this. Because the rookies are there, Ken just wants to take the the Gelgoog back to make you know help his people survive at this point, who are now remnants. They have no way to get off the planet, really. So he says, look, I'm going to kill your rookie here, but I won't if you let me go. And so Matt grapples with it, and he eventually lowers his weapon because he doesn't want his rookie to die. That poor rookie had no chance, Isaac. He was in like a mass-produced gym. He was in like the prone position. Like he, he was going to. Yeah. <laughs> just not having a good day. Matt had his gun pointed, though, at the Gelgu's uh, cockpit, though. So, Brian, let me put you in a little conundrum. What Did Matt make the right decision? What have you have done? Um, That Gelgu was cooking true, <laughs> gyms yeah. left and right. If you look at it from the... <laughs> 
knowing what we know and what happens to the Gelgu, yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously that decision cost a lot more lives um, than just that one rookie. So he probably should have shot him. But it is also knowing that you caused the death of someone on your team would be hard to grapple with, too. Perhaps for some people, Brian. <laughs> At the time, Matt also thought that Ken was just like him. And he is to some extent. Yeah. If we take out his sort of rage across the earth. So then a whole lot different if General Isaac was there. <laughs> yeah, General Isaac just launches the nukes wherever they wherever they need to go. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> we need to nuke both sides. This is... <laughs> We'll save the court martial. All right. <laughs> so they go their separate ways, and and Ken has like a very specific quote here. He says, um, "After Matt drops his gun, Ken calls him soft and just as miserable as a soldier as he is, referring to himself." <clears throat> so Ken kind of admits to Matt that, "Hey, I'm kind of just like you. I'm not really into this whole soldier thing." Because if you think about it, Ken doesn't even really want to be a soldier, right? He's just doing this because Zeon still has his wife and kid kidnapped, and he needs to stay in their good graces so they don't kill him. Yeah, he was drafted it was such a, a unique forcible draft i've never seen anything like it in the, any gundam series matt gets punished imprisoned for three days for refusing to fire at the enemy and letting them escape with the new Gelgook. again isaac the parallels to 8th ms team are pretty strong here matt is very similar to shiro he gets punished like shiro does for not firing at the enemy pilots a ground gundam they later on we're going to see some people shooting down hlvs with a sniper rifle uh there's a, a scene with a freeway that's very similar to 8th MS team with, with the Norris Packard. <laughs> a lot of this feels like, hey, go make me something that looks like 8th MS team because people like that and they want to read it again, but different. Yeah, I, <laughs> I like that the, the war is, you know, still such, there's such a shortage of manpower and a need for combat units that they only put them in jail for like three days. Yeah, they're like, well, you know what, that was a bad thing, but we really need you to get out there and kill some more Zeons. <laughs> All right, your sense is served. Get out there. <laughs> get out there. Keep killing them. So after this one, Isaac, we head to Jaburo. You know, time has passed again. We're now in Jaburo. Matt's team is trying to launch into space, but they are denied by Lieutenant Woody because there are others ahead of them. So I'll pause there because Lieutenant Woody, if you recall, listeners, was uh, Matilda's fiance, ah. who does end up dying during the Battle of Jaburo. He helps Amuro against Shar. But this is right when the Battle of Jaburo is beginning. He's not dead yet, but Matilda's already dead. And there's another person in this manga whose name is Rachel, who works with Cohen. Yeah. And she was a friend of Matilda's. They went to the same school or something. So she has a conversation right. about about Matilda with Lieutenant Woody about her death. And you're like, oh, this is so terrible. I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so again, that's all stuff that you really wouldn't get if you haven't watched the original series. So to Isaac's point, it's really rewarding you um, to have seen that stuff. So that was pretty neat. I like that. But also, probably the coolest thing here, they can't go to space because they are blocked by another Pegasus-class warship. It's not the, it's not the white base, Isaac. It's the Thoroughbred. And this is super cool because the Thoroughbred hauls Gundam's units uh, 4 and 5. That's the red and the blue ones. And this ship is first mentioned in Mobile Suit Gundam novel uh, 2 from 1980. But it was just sort of mentioned. It wasn't shown. But it does appear in the other side story called uh, Gundam Side Story Space to the End of a Flash from 2004, which was uh, an adaptation of the video game called Encounters in Space uh, from 2003. And then it later also reappears in another side story called Battlefield Record UC 0081, which itself was a video game manga in 2009. So the Thoroughbred is like a very famous ship. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we haven't, we haven't even got to the half of it yet, Isaac. You wait till the end. It was a lore dump. Yeah, it was a very lore <laughs> dump. Um, and then Rachel also, uh, she also pops up again in 0083 Rebellion working for Cohen. So if you, you know, follow some of these stories, you'll start to see some of the same characters. So they send out Matt's team 
at the Battle of Jaburo to prevent, you know, Xeon mobile suits from landing. Uh, a bunch of gals are dropping off all the mobile suits and they're descending and they're like, go stop that. That's bad. We don't, we don't, <laughs> we don't want that. <laughs> Larry at this point has the Jim Sniper 2, which is cool because his stuff got uh, smashed in, I think, last time. Back in Odessa, though, Ken's not even in Jaburo. He's back. He's still sort of in Odessa. He's slicing through some poor gyms. Which, by the way, Isaac, those gyms that he's fighting, they have no chance. He's, this dude's in a Gelgoog. I mean... Yeah. They figured that, you know, whatever's left of Zeon's weak. So these are the mop-up gyms, which, you know, they're not exactly the elite heavy assault ones. <laughs> right. So he's just cutting through these guys with his beam Naginata. When the, his Zeon base stops responding, so the Foreign Legion base stops responding, him and Garski, the two that are out, they go to check on them. But the, they get back, Isaac, and the base has been raised by the Federation. It's just decimated. Yeah. Everyone is, for the most part, alive, except for Yuki. She apparently protected Mei during the attack, and as a result, yeah. sustained a mortal wound in the, I don't know, abdomen-ish area. Right. She yeah. passes away in front of the group, asking Ken to get everyone, or at least get Mei, to space via an HLV in Asia that apparently is still operable. And so this just sets off Ken Isaac. He's now out for revenge against everyone in the Federation. He just you know decides he's going to kill them all. Does that make sense, given his backstory, Isaac? Should he hate the Federation so much? Did he love Yuki? Um, or, like, why is he so upset? It seemed like he developed a more subtle version of Matt's philosophy. You know, we're all going to make it. We're all going to stay alive. That's all I really care about, our survival. So he probably feels like he failed when, when Yuki died. Yeah. But they didn't seem to have, like, a huge, very close relationship. He lost a member of team. Now he's in revenge mode. I'll, I'll go with it. So back at Jaburo, Matt pushes his no-kill policy luck a bit too far. There's this sort of Zaku that's fleeing, and Matt kind of heads him off. And I think he even, like, doesn't he destroy his, the Zaku's head, right? But the Zaku's still fleeing. He runs away from Matt, and he's running towards Larry now. And remember, Larry's in the gym sniper, yeah. too. And Matt's like, uh, Larry, don't you kill that pilot. Like, he, you know, he's, he just needs to surrender. Just let's get him to surrender, and it'll, everything will be fine. We won't have to kill the dude. But he's getting closer and closer. Larry doesn't fire. And Anish finally just comes in and just takes the Zaku out, Isaac. Does he, I think he uh, stabs him, right? Impales him with a, with a beam saber. Yeah, but the, the Zaku was firing almost, not blindly, but, you know, a little chaotically in, in Larry's direction. Yeah, so unfortunately for poor Larry, those shots actually hit the cockpit and just turned his cockpit to Swiss cheese. And yeah. Larry's dead. His cockpit door is like halfway open and his blood is just gushing out. Matt is stunned. Anish is pissed, right, because Matt told Larry not to fire when he absolutely could have killed the Zaku. Should have. Yeah, uh, 100%. 100%. Uh, you know, I'm not one to say they should be killing everybody, but... I am. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a stupid call on Matt's part. He's he's a bad leader. I'm going to flat out and say it. He's a bad leader because he made a judgment call that got one of his men killed. Larry would be alive if he fired that shot. Oh, absolutely. Larry would be alive. Larry actually survives in the video game version. Whoa. He accidentally kills the pilot because he shot the Zaku's legs instead. But remember, they make because they make that comment in, in the manga that, like, your rifle's too powerful, it's not, it's going to kill the pilot. Well, in the video game, he actually shoots the legs and it still kills the pilot. Wow. I think this is the better narrative choice, right? I, I think. Yeah. Because if he survives, then, like, nothing really comes of it. Matt's policy isn't really questioned. I think Matt's policy is, like, noble, but at the same time, you have to know when... I'll go further than you, Brian. Matt's policy is naive, and it has no place in a war against Zeon and space fascists. Well, that's what I'm saying, is you have to know when to deviate from your, your policy. And clearly, he doesn't, so... No, he's he's on railroad tracks, and, uh, you know, he, he needs to be more adaptable than that. And even other people who don't like... You know, I, I don't think Shiro liked killing people, but it's not like it stopped him. 
from doing it. Right. No, he was pretty happy to throw that punch <laughs> at the <Absolus> cockpit. <laughs> I had to shake my head watching that happen as my, my, my buddy Sahalan goes down with the ship. <laughs> Your psychotic buddy, Guineas. Now we can't give injections to our men. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let alone those. A little happy juice, yeah. <laughs> uh, so they, they basically order Matt's team, who is basically just now Matt and Anish, right? Because Larry's dead. Yeah. So I liked Larry. Larry was a cool dude. Now, he kind of sucks he's dead, but uh, narrative must move forward, I suppose. Now he's Kool-Aid. So they now, they now order Count. Count orders them to Asia to go destroy the Gelgoog. Because apparently, Isaac, this Gelgoog is just, like, tearing people apart. Ken is just cutting a swath of destruction across wherever he goes, trying to keep his people alive. And it kind of makes sense, because there's not many ground Gelgoogs. I think there's one other one um, on Earth from another side story. I think it, that one's in the Rise to the Ashes game. But okay. if, you, if you think about the suits that are on Earth, n- nothing's going to stand against the Gelgoog. No, you you need a gym sniper to get a good shot. That's really your only chance. But the Gelgoog's so advanced at this point and really fast that, I mean, the gym sniper sometimes doesn't even hit Zaku's. So right. <laughs> what's it going to do against the Gelgoog? Yeah, I mean, I, you, you'd have to have a gym sniper too or some high-performing yeah. gym. Yeah, a bombing run from um, Saberfish. Right, or, or mass numbers, you know. Yeah. But people are going to die, right? But if, yeah. if Ken is being careful about it, he's, he's going to win most of the confrontations that he, that he enters. Yeah. No one in the Federation is going to throw that much ordnance at one mobile suit. They're right. just going to do ver- the very bureaucratic thing and send like one squad two squad you know <laughs> well it didn't work send another three yeah. units <laughs> See <Yeah. what> <laughs> so the operation six here matt and team they're now watching the salamis uh and magellan all launch from jaburo which was a pretty cool scene that we saw in origin this probably has to be one of the earliest depictions of that because i don't think we saw that we i guess we saw that in igloo but I think this would have been even before Igloo. I don't remember what year Igloo came out. But Annie, the mechanic in, Feder- in the Federation side, we mentioned her earlier, she gets transferred to the Thoroughbred, Isaac. So if you go read Space to the End of the Flash, she will be in that story. Cool. But she tells Matt to keep believing in his ideals because she still does and is proud of it. Anish is still, like, not really having it. He really wants to kill all the Zeons now because Larry's dead. Uh, Ken has also earned the name the Pitiless War God as he cuts his way through Asia to something called the Baikonur Spaceport, which is a real place, Isaac, in, in uh, Kazakhstan. Yeah, that was the Soviets, uh, their, I guess their Cape Canaveral. Yeah, it's called the Baikonur Cosmodrome. Yeah, their little launch point that they built. Very cool. Yeah. What do you think about the name Pitiless War God? I feel like we could do a little better on that. Yeah, I, I don't like the pitiless part of it because it almost feels like he's pitiable, even though right. it doesn't mean that. What, you should have just gone with the, you know, the merciless monster. Yeah. Something like that, the the angel of vengeance, yeah. so, something insane. The you know the the, the cyclops of sorrow. <laughs> I, I could I could go on. <laughs> this is one of my superpowers, Brian, as you well know. <laughs> cyclops of sorrow is strong. I, I like that. Thank you, thank you. We'll we'll put that in our own side story, <laughs> <laughs> listeners. If you could, you send us your take on what Ken's ace pilot name should be, because I think pitiless war god is just not it's not cutting it for me. I'll challenge you, listeners. I don't think anyone's going to defeat the cyclops of sorrow. <laughs> I would stay away from that. If I saw him on a map, I'd be like, I'm going to go other way. Yeah. Well, how, how do those briefings go? This is almost the inverse of like the Gundam briefings to like the Xeon troops. You know, well, we've had this white devil, this mobile suit that's, you know, <laughs> taken out about 80, 80 of our troops. But if you kill it, it's a six rank promotion. <laughs> People probably just stand up in the middle and just start walking out. Right. Like, oh, yeah. 
There's no way we're doing this. Yeah, not in my mass-produced gym. Hell no. No. Not a chance. <laughs> we have this enemy mobile suit that's, uh, you know, killed about 10 gym squads. Yeah. <laughs> but we're going to send you guys out next. It's like, nah. <laughs> There's that point in the manga, Isaac, where uh, I forget who it is. It's got to be a niche. I think a niche. He, he's in the ground gym for a while. Then he, I think he pilots a, a mass-produced gym for a while. Then he gets back to the ground gym. And then he eventually takes over the Sniper 2, which is kind of weird, right? He took Larry's unit. Did they clean it out? I guess so, yeah. They replaced the cockpit. That's a little how morbid. Did, how does that work? They uh, just get a hose? Yeah. Pressure wash. Get a wash. hose of Clorox wipes? Yeah. It's a lot of them. <laughs> he says, oh, you know, how do you like the mass-produced one? He's like, yeah, it's okay, but it's not as good as the ground gym. I imagine the ground gyms were made out of, like, you know, material that was, like, you ever see an old car from, like, the 60s? Yeah. Those things were, like, like tanks, right? I imagine yeah. a mass-produced gym is, like, made out of the same stuff as, like, a Honda Civic bumper, you know? <laughs> Where, like, it's just a little bit of plastic and mostly foam. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> oh, boy. And I've owned three Honda Civic, so I can say that. But That crumples on. <laughs> yeah, it's just not the same as, like, a 60s uh, Mustang or something. Yeah, but, made um, out of iron and metal. <laughs> right, that thing was not going anywhere. So at the spaceport, Cosmodrome, because that's, that's an awesome name, Isaac. We should call our yeah. stuff Cosmodromes. Like what? I don't know. Well, we can't. We can't do that, Brian, you traitor, because our astronauts are called astronauts, not cosmonauts. Okay, well, how about at least astrodromes or, you know, something cool with astro at Astrodrome. Least. Isn't that what it's called in Houston? The Houston Astrodrome? No, Astrodome. That's the, that's the old place where the Houston Astros used to play. Yeah. Okay. I would go like the Astroport or something. I don't know. Starport? Yeah, that'd be cool. Space Force will do it. The Space Fortress. Oh, <laughs> that's cool. I still don't get why, like... Our military bases, also it's like Fort Bradley, you know, Fort yeah. Fort such and such. Why don't we just say Fortress? <laughs> <laughs> That's what the Isaac administration will do. From now on, everything will be called Fortress. You must <laughs> pronounce the full word. Do not abbreviate. Our base on the moon will you call it Fortress Luna. <laughs> oh, there you go. It's already cooler. <laughs> <laughs> I support this. So at the Cosmodrome, Ken's team sends May and Jake to space to honor Yuki. And I guess they had to, you know, they couldn't send everyone because there's a lot of wounded people taking the spots, I suppose. Everyone else stays behind. Lucky Jake, right? He gets to go to space. Yeah, they said to protect her. Yeah, which that's I assume true. they mean with his mobile suit, which kind of works. But he, he struck me as not like the best pilot. But, I, well, he's kind of the only one they got, I guess. He was so-so. He kind of goes a little crazy later. But uh, Ken engages Matt while Anish looks to shoot down the HLV with the gym sniper, too. So this Isaac is... Again, another 8th MS team parallel that I mentioned that feels a little too close to 8th MS team, right? This dude's about to shoot down the HLV with the gym sniper, although it, the, I mean, 8th MS team was a gym sniper one. Doesn't work though because Matt puts himself between the sniper rifle and the HLV and just dares Anish to shoot, and Anish eventually declines to shoot. Uh, you know, Matt declares hate only begets hate. He doesn't want Anish to shoot down all the innocent people in the HLV. Ken is like shocked, but yeah. Ken and Matt retreat. Uh, but Ken promises to meet again to collect the wages of blood. <laughs> I feel like his name at that point should have been like the wager of woe. <laughs> the tax collector. <laughs> yeah, he'll be coming to get the wages of blood. Uh, so, yes, that was a cool scene, you know, using he used the head of the Gundam as opposed to like the cockpit. I feel like using the cockpit would have been more impactful. Oh, I agree. Because I was actually, when he put the head in front, I was like, well, Anisha's just going to shoot because it's just the head. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. it'll abs- The beam will absolutely go through the head. <laughs> right. 100%. Oh, one thing I noticed about Jake and I liked is um, he's always in his flight suit. Oh, yeah. That was a funny joke. Yeah. Yeah, and then it was it was May, right, who pointed out, like, why are you wearing that? <laughs> he said, <laughs> you know, I just no, want to. <laughs> yeah, we're on Earth. Nobody needs to wear a flight suit. <laughs> it's 
It's got to be hot in those things. But yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it's got cooling or something. Yeah. Actually, no. It has to have temperature regulation because you can go into space. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. It looks hot. I'll say that. Yeah. Not not the not very comfortable either. So Isaac, if you're reading the print edition, this is where your story ends because that was Operation Six. You don't get the last <laughs> chapter. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that sucks. Uh, so Operation Seven, though, we're now in Sydney. They don't tell you that, but we're going to find out we are, or at least on you know in Australia somewhere near Sydney. Matt receives intel they have located the Gelgook, and he walks in to Noel in the shower. It's not a Gundam side story manga, Isaac, without a accidental shower scene. Of course, yeah. And, uh, you know, this is Gundam, so there's no locks on the bathrooms. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, anybody can walk in. I read that scene a few times trying to figure out what exactly happened there, because he really, like, walked in there with a purpose, and I was like, that's kind of weird. Like, why, like, why did he walk in? Yeah, how did you not hear running right, water? Right, yeah, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think she was actually showering in the hover truck. Uh, it's, oh, okay. not, it's not like so, a formal shower, so I, I kind of understand now. But um, Sure. So Matt feels it's his duty to stop you know, Ken's rampage. Because at this point, Isaac, he's still just killing people on Earth. Like this dude, I wonder what Ken's kill count. I wonder if we can look that up. It's got to be pretty high. Oh, boy. Well, we'd never know because we don't know all the deaths that happened. That's you know? true. Yeah. Maybe they got reported, though. Maybe. So Matt feels it's his duty to stop Ken's rampage by capturing the Gelgoog and demanding the others, the other remnants surrender. Uh, they battle on New Year's Day, 0080, in a city with pre-existing anti-mobile suit traps, you know, from a previous battle. Anish captures Garski, and uh, as Matt and Ken are about to f- have their final clash, they're both down to beam sabers at that point. You know, they've both lost an arm. Their suits are a bit trashed. The armistice between the Federation and Zeon is signed and starts being broadcast on all channels. So Matt and Ken halt their fighting, and they agree to take on their post-war existence as individuals rather than soldiers. So their battle is stopped at, like, literally the last second. Is that too cliche, Isaac, for you, or was that okay? Um, at this point, I, I almost jump into, like, my almost sole criticism of uh, the, the preachiness of this series. And, yeah, that did feel a little cliche, yeah, the fact that they both live just a constant reiteration of you know oh i guess peace and you know i guess we're the same you know oh we're we're the same as our enemies you know my name's ken (laughs) my name's matt yeah roll credits they might as well have ended with like both sides having a picnic together because they're (laughs) they're right they're in the same city right (laughs) you know so I, I, i was half rolling my eyes and then at the same time i stopped myself and said look this has been gundam from the beginning the strong anti-war message, the call for peace. This is Gundam at its heart and soul. Yeah. So I just I just kind of nodded and was like, okay, okay, I'll go with it. Yeah. I'll at least say this: it was different in that you know the the Zeon guy didn't die at the end. Oh, that's true. You and know? he absolutely didn't so die. You're right. He made it, and you uh, know, in, in a way, they were both good guys. Very, very much so. With with the mistakes they made, however, along the way, they were good guys. Yeah. If you can forgive Ken's rampage across Earth, yeah. You know, I think he's one of the better Zeons. One detail I really liked about this fight, Isaac, is that the Gelgoog did not have its beam rifle during this fight. And I assume that's because he ran out of beam ammo a long time ago. Because there's, oh, okay. there's no one to resupply him, if you think about it. Where is he going to get more? I guess it's hard to keep a beam rifle if you're not getting steady supplies to keep it powered up. So Ken goes back to side three. And Matt peers out over the Sydney crater and finds a shark tooth fossil on the ground, like the one that Duchamp gave him. And that's the end of the story. And so if you didn't read the prequel, the shark tooth fossil part makes zero sense. Hope you read the prequel. Because uh, otherwise, it's just a random part where he picks up a <laughs> tooth and you're like, oh, all right, I guess he found, found something. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was like, 
what could this possibly be? Did I miss something about like a saber toothed tiger or a shark or a lion? You know, I, yep. I don't know. Almost like the battle, like the final frame would be like Ken giving him like a necklace of like a tooth on it. You know, oh, this yeah. is a bear tooth or something. Yeah. So that part only makes sense if you read the prequel. The final shots that we see of Ken and his people, I think, going back to side three, right? To be reunited with his family. Yep. They are perhaps the only canon shots I know of of a leader or a representative of the Republic of Zeon who's on the screen with a mustache telling them that essentially everything's forgiven. It sounds like an announcement, not just to them, but to every Republic of, or every Zeon forces who, unless they're going to go to Axis, are essentially um, by default Republic of Zeon. Yeah. Telling them everything's forgiven. Just come home. We need you now for this new, this new country that we're building. I've never seen anything Republic of Z on until this. So I thought that was really interesting. Did you notice how they also spun it and they said that they were victorious? Yeah, right. They they uh, they overthrew the zombie. Right. They're like, oh, we, we won. And I was like, did you? Because <laughs> <laughs> this is a great day for our nation. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I mean, I really want to read that side story, right? With the... Um, the white zakus or whatever about the the fall of of zeon internally oh yeah you know because man clearly there were people or officers waiting on the sidelines who were either if not pro-federation just using it as opportunity to overthrow the zombies and bring back what we assume is a more democratic form of government we got to read that one too the plot to assassinate gear and zombie there you go so isaac here's the here's the bombshell i've been saving for you so a lot of our characters here reappear in like this sort of, I'm going to call it an Avengers-style meetup in another manga series called Gundam Legacy. <laughs> Gundam Assemble. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, in the series called Gundam Legacy by the same author, alongside various other side story characters from the side stories Space to the End of a Flash, so Gundam Units 4 and 5, and the Xeonic Front video game, which includes Lieutenant Agar, Agar, I don't know how to say his name, he pilots Gundam Unit 6, a.k.a. Uh, Gundam Mudrock, <clears throat> as well as the Midnight, Midnight Fenrir Corps. They all wow. coalesce into a story that takes place in 0084. Wow. Yeah. So this one was so good. We're gonna ha- Now we're going to have to go read Space to the End of the Flash, and we'll have to do something with Zionic Front. That one doesn't have a manga adaptation. There's a little bit of it in, in Gundam Legacy before they get to the, the team-up story. But that'll be fun, Isaac. These people come back. We get to see Ken again. We get to see Matt again. Like May, they're all there. Noel. So to be continued. I'm excited for that, man. I hope it's done well. That's that's got to be difficult, but ooh, we'll see. There's so many characters. That's a lot of different characters from a lot of different stories coming together. They can't all live. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. Um, but I know the Midnight Fenrir are some of your favorites, so that you you're gonna have to see them alongside everyone that we just we just read about. So that's kind of interesting. Nice assemble. In terms of the Mecha Isaac, there's really only two things to talk about. I mean, the the Zaku twos we saw here. I like Ken's team. They had the the black spike um, on their Zaku's. I don't know if you noticed that. That was kind of neat. I like that color scheme. Also like the forehead um, crest symbol, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The main thing, though, is the ground gel goog. I feel like you would like the ground gel goog color scheme, Isaac, because it looks very similar to Shima's gel goog. Yeah, it's pretty close. I'd want to see another image of what it looks like, but not too bad. There's yeah. not a lot of images of it. Hmm. Some of the images, it does not look good. They color they chose but the one shot of ken's specific unit is looks pretty cool um so if i was trying to make a ground gelgoog i would i would make his version you should because like they're pretty rare in general so at least this would be like one that exists in canon right the only other one i know of is i think it's all green 
which is kind of cool, but a little boring. Yeah, too boring for me. All right, Isaac. So there we go. Now we know that we have we have more to look forward to from these characters. Oh, by the way, Matt and Noel also reappear in Double Eighty Three Rebellion. Obviously, this illustrator and this writer they like using these characters, so they just keep dragging them forward, which is fine. That's fine. You know, why why shouldn't there be characters in side stories that continue on their journeys? The Federation is a big place. The wars continue, so there's there's no need for for side stories to really be the end of the beginning and end of each character. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah, why not? All right, Isaac, so how many Haros are you going to give this baby? This was such a fun read at every turn. It had surprises. It had quality animation, excellent writing, excellent pacing and story. I really like the characters. I have almost no complaints. I can't recommend this enough. I give Lost War Chronicles 5 out of 5 Haros. Wow, look, that is glowing endorsement. Isaac hates everything, everyone. I mean... <laughs> I, stop what How you're doing you? and go read it right now. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I, I've never had a manga series that I was reading, Crossbone included, where I was hearing the noises while I was reading. And I, <laughs> listeners are going to be like, oh, I, I just need his pills. Um, <laughs> let me... I, it was just so immersive, so well done. You, you hear the, the mono eyes, you hear the footsteps and the beams. You can imagine the, the voices of different actors, especially since, you know, we got Cohen. You can imagine Cohen's voice. We got Rebel. Yeah. You can imagine Rebel. Everybody's yep. back. You can kind of guess other characters' voices too, the new ones. It was just such a great immersive read. Please listen to, please, please don't listen to anything too loud while you're uh, reading the manga. <laughs> it's, I, I just can't recommend it enough. It was, it was a great read and a great choice brian excellent choice brian my friend i pretty much agree i don't know if i'll go that high but it was a solid fun read if you like eighth ms team and you wish there were more things out there like that um this is a great next step for you especially if you've seen the original series it's got great story great action beats great action shots again i think the illustrator has a deft hand at making comic books sometimes i feel like some of the manga that we read for Gundam is just kind of they're just kind of going through the motions to put it out there nothing against those people and their efforts but I feel like this guy is just actually really good um and it just happens to be a he's doing a Gundam story the ground Gelgu was neat don't get to see that a lot so I enjoyed that I again I think it's a plus that they didn't have to bring in some unique Gundam some unique suit and I, I'm super excited that these characters all show up again and I'm excited to go read the other ones because they're sort of under the same con- under the control of the same people so I'm gonna go ahead and give it an eight and a half out of ten I thought it was great and I think my only real criticism is the ending was a little on the nose of their, you know, getting the message at the exact time. And then a lot of the stuff does skew really close to 8th MS team to where it's very familiar. But beyond that, it's a great read and uh, can't recommend it enough. So I'm surprised I haven't read it up until this point. I don't know why I didn't buy it when it came out. Although I, I guess I'm glad I didn't give yeah. it. It doesn't have the whole damn story. <laughs> so listeners, when we say read it, don't go read the print version. Or no. if you do have the print version, just make sure you go get the stuff that it's missing because it's it's missing the beginning and the ending and then the vital page in the middle <laughs> so <laughs> not sure what happened there quality control wise but uh, great yeah. great series can't recommend it enough super happy with it we read it so what's your score oh eight and a half i said eight and a half oh i didn't hear it <laughs> yeah yeah eight and a half yep you left it out like they left out the middle and the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah my score is okay on to the next one <laughs> all right everybody <laughs> just end <laughs> that's how i felt reading the print version so uh what, so what should goes. we ask the listeners like was captain matt right 
is that the right approach? You should not kill the enemy unless they like, unless you give them a chance to surrender, or is that just so foolhardy? Because you're gonna get situations where the enemy's gonna blow away your friends. <laughs> well, yeah, in in that situation, he chose to try to save the Zaku pilot over Larry. But I feel like in that situation, you gotta save Larry every time, right? <sighs> yeah, he was so wrong because the, that guy was fighting before he even got near Larry. Right, you know, right. He, so he, he wasn't gonna surrender at all. No, he was diehard. fine. Matt was fine when he tried when he when he destroyed the Zaku's head, right, and just said, "Hey, could you surrender?" He was fine up until that point, but when he continues to run towards Larry and he doesn't surrender, you give Larry the go ahead. Yeah, but he didn't. You know, he did. And now Larry's dead. Way to go, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> so, listeners, tell us if you think uh, Matt is right and to what extent. Give us your best Xeon uh, accent and tell us what you would rename <laughs> Ken's ace pilot thing to be instead of pitiless war god do you have anything stronger than cyclops of sorrow they don't <laughs> <laughs> i win <laughs> think of one brian <laughs> i'm gonna try i'm gonna try all right let's see uh it's a gelgoog right so maybe the the gelgoog ghoul <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh the murdering maverick <laughs> he's got the naganata right so the what would you call the... Oh, his, his, the beam rifle is kind of the focus too, right? Yeah. So how about like the beam beast? <laughs> I like that, the yeah. Be, the beam banshee. The oh. beam banshee, okay. I, I could see that because it kind of screams when it fires. I believe that. I, I'd buy Listeners, that. Listeners, you guys got a tall order. I'm, <laughs> I'm throwing these out left and right. You guys are just getting slapped around. You guys are going to have to think of some juicy ones. <laughs> the beam banshee is like the sub boss before you get to Cyclops yeah. of Sorrow. <laughs> It has no melee weapons. It's just beams. <laughs> All right, Isaac, take us away. All right, listeners, before you go to sleep tonight, stand next to your bed. Get on your knees, put your hands together, look up at the ceiling, and hail Zeon. Good night, everybody. <laughs>